This is Peter Anderson from BibleMoneyMatters.com. And now, your host, Eric Rosenberg. He'll balance your checkbook, he'll tell you where to invest, and he'll even DJ your wedding. This is the Personal Profitability Podcast. You're listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast, where you'll learn how to earn income, live better, and put your money to work for you. Here's your guide on your path to personal profitability, Eric Rosenberg. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Personal Profitability Podcast. My name is Eric Rosenberg, your faithful and trusty host live here in Portland, Oregon. And today, this is our, our third episode, and I'm very excited to have our first guest on the show. This guest is a good friend of mine, someone I met at the very first financial blogger conference in Chicago. Now it's just known as FinCon. We actually found out we're meeting up this year in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, which I'm pretty excited about. And that will be the next time I see Jeff, unless we can get a chance to hang out before. Who knows if that'll happen, but we always chat online and on the phone, and um, he is here right now. So say hello, Jeff. Introduce yourself to the crowd. Hey, everybody. How you doing today? Um, like Eric said, I'm Jeff Fruworth, and we've known each other for about four or five years at this point. Yeah. We've been to we, four FinCons together. We went to, we lived in the same city growing up went to the same university and didn't actually get connected until we both found each other's blogs. So thanks for having me on, Eric, and it's great to be here. Yeah, and for those of you who want to look Jeff up right now while you're listening, his website is sustainablelifeblog.com. He has a bunch of other websites too that we'll talk about more and even a couple we've worked on together. But to start off, because um, because we do so in every episode we have to talk about our having a beer. So if you're listening at home, not in the car or at your office, unless your office allows it, this is your opportunity to pause, go grab your beer so you can come back and join me and Jeff. Right now, I am having an Alaskan Amber, which um, has, a, has a little soft spot in my heart because I've been to Alaska. I actually went to Juneau on a cruise with my mom, and we were looking at taking a uh, a bike ride to the Alaskan brewery so I could see where they made it. But instead, my mom surprised me with a helicopter ride, and we got to land on the Mendenhall Glacier, which was, was actually pretty sweet. So I missed going to the brewery, but I got to go on a helicopter ride, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, so here's a cheers from Alaskan Amber. Jeff, what are you uh, drinking on your end? Um, tonight, I've got a 22-ounce bottle of Avery's Czar Imperial Stout. Very good choice. It's been a little cold here today. It's the... The humidity is high for the area, so it feels even colder than normal. So this is a nice way to warm me up. Yeah, for those of you not familiar, Avery is a brewery from just on the outskirts of Boulder, Colorado, where, where Jeff was, you know, he mentioned we both went to school in Boulder. So I've had many, many Avery beers, and they do make it up this way to Portland. So um, I'm guessing they make it to most parts of the country. So if you've never had an Avery beer, they're delicious. Same thing with Alaskan Amber. So here's a... Uh, Here's a cheers, Jeff. I'm, I'm cheers, trying to Eric. clink your glass over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
All right. So to start off, as um, as we've done before, I want to start with the personal side of personal finance and then get into the business side. So a few things that um, I've gotten to know with Jeff over the years. You know, we, we met when we were both not married guys. And um, in the last four years, we've both gotten married. And Jeff has become a dad. And I've gotten to meet his beautiful little girl. And um, I just wanted to start with a few questions about that just because of the the financial things about having a kid. So Jeff had just changed jobs um, pretty recently. I don't know if that was before you had your daughter or after. But um, so could you tell just a little about the timeline in that? Sure. Um, Well, we found out my wife was pregnant a few months before the Financial Bloggers Conference slash FinCon in St. Louis. And she was supposed to be due at the beginning of May and our daughter decided that she was ready to come in February. So we got to live at the University of Colorado Hospital in Denver for two and a half months while they took care of our 28-week-old baby and kind of fed her and, and made sure that she was going to make it to a point where we could take her home. About how far of a drive is that hospital from where your house is? Uh, it's about 90 miles, 100 miles. So like a couple hour drive depending on traffic? Yeah, yeah. It was about two hours usually, a little less. And was that when you were at your old job or your new job? when That, that happened? thankfully was when I was at my old job because at that point I had been there for about three and a half years and I... I had a lot of vacation time available to me and I had a lot of sick time available to me and I didn't, you know, once, once we kind of got everything sorted out, we were able to work ourselves into a schedule where I would live in town at our house and work Monday through Thursday. And then Thursday night I would go down to Denver and be with my wife who lived in Denver full time, basically. And, you know, it's one of the things in finance that people talk about frequently is having an emergency fund. But usually they just talk about having a bunch of cash Mm -hmm. sitting on the sidelines, kind of waiting for your your water main to break or your car to break down or something. But I think that that uh, a large amount of cash should only be a portion of your emergency fund. Like me, for instance, I keep um, a whole boatload of frequent flyer miles stashed aside for emergencies just in case um, I need to go to a funeral or uh, an emergency visit with family for some reason. And I also try and keep about five to eight days worth of sick or vacation time so I can take time off from my job and not have to worry about making up the hours later in the event of an emergency. Right. That's definitely a good idea. So in this, in this case with your daughter, I know her being born early and having to spend so much time in the hospital, the medical bills must've been like pretty crazy. Can you share and are you willing to share anything about what those costs would have been if you hadn't had insurance and what insurance took care of? Um, well at the time I worked for the government and state government, correct? State government. Okay. And I had a pretty good 
benefits package. So I paid $100 a month for insurance for myself and the rest of my family. And they basically took care of well north of three quarters of a million dollars in hospital bills. And in all honesty, it should have been higher than that. But we got transferred to a more local hospital about a month before we could actually bring our daughter home for good. And that hospital was not as highly rated nor as effective as the one we were at previously. And they also billed about 10 times less than what we had in Denver, okay. which ultimately didn't matter. We ended up paying, I think, out of pocket less than $1,000 for the entire thing because we had good insurance and they took care of a lot of it. And the portion that they didn't take care of, we got put on Medicaid for it because our daughter weighed so little at birth that she was automatically enrolled in, I think it was called the SSI um, disability program. Oh, that's the Social Security Disability Program, I believe, right? Or my, yes. Okay. Yes. So that she got enrolled in that because of her low birth weight, and then that automatically qualified her for Medicaid. So after a little bit of uh, haranguing with the Medicaid office in Wyoming, I got them to pay everything but about $500 of our deductible. So we we came out of that really, really good, all things considered. So just to recap for everybody, if you missed anything there, the total cost would have been $750,000, and Jeff had to pay out of pocket about 1000 And um, that is, you know, I've, I've talked about insurance on the blog before, back in the days when it was called Narrow Bridge Finance. And um, you can still go back and find some of those posts where I talk about how important it is to have great insurance. And that's well, I've been a big advocate for Obamacare and getting everybody who doesn't have insurance insurance is if you don't have that, you know, what would it, what would Jeff have done had he not had that? You know, they might have kicked him out of the hospital. They might not have treated um, his daughter with the same you know length of time that she needed or whatnot. And she wouldn't have had the care she probably needed. And uh, now she's going to live you know, a great, healthy, normal life. And insurance was a huge part of that. Cause you never know. Like, Everyone expects things to just happen um, the way you expect, but um, if life always happened how you expect it, we wouldn't need things like insurance or emergency funds or a lot of the other stuff we talk about in the uh, personal finance world. So thanks for uh, for sharing that, Jeff. Um, so now I want to change gears a little and get to some more professional questions. So like me, uh, Jeff has a full-time job and he also does some online work for himself and some other clients on the side. Could you just give kind of a general breakdown on the different projects you're working on right now? Sure. Um, like you mentioned, uh, Eric, I'm a, I have a full-time job. I work as an environmental consultant at a firm in my town, and I run two blogs. Like Eric mentioned earlier, I run Sustainable Life blog, and I also run a blog about my journey towards earning a full-time income online called onlinesideincome.com. 
And in addition to those two sites, I've also got six niche sites that are in various stages of being built. And I've had success with those before in building and ranking those and earning a bit of money off of Amazon. So I'm really looking forward in 2015 to continue building out the sites I have, earning more money and hopefully flipping them at some point in the year. So for those who are not familiar with niche sites, could you just walk them through how you picked what your niche sites would be and how you've developed them and tested them and and whatnot and what's worked and what hasn't worked? Sure. Um, those uh, For those of you unfamiliar, a niche site is kind of a smaller website about a very focused topic. For instance, you could have a niche site about uh, double strollers. So you would find all of the double strollers that were for sale on Amazon, review them, write articles about them, compare them all, and do your best to give a recommendation on which double stroller you think is the best and why. And with a product like that, you would be monetizing using the Amazon Associates program, which is really great. It's easy to get accepted into, and they will pay you a commission of every item sold that goes up um, based on how many units you sold. So if you sell one to five units, I believe you get 4%. And then if you sell more than five, up to 20 or so, you get 5%. And then if you sell between 20 and 40, you get 6%. And then if you sell between 40 and 300, you get six and a half percent and it'll top out at 8% of the item that you sold. And for those of you that don't have children and don't know how ridiculously overpriced <laughs> strollers are, they start out at about a hundred bucks and the strollers specifically for twins can go well over 250 to $300. So you're talking about 15 or $20 per conversion one so, really cool thing about the Amazon Associates program that a lot of people don't realize is let's say someone was searching for those strollers and went to Jeff's site and or, or whoever's site. Now, this is a hypothetical. Um, so they went to that site and found out about the strollers and clicked through an Amazon link on that site to learn about you know that stroller on the Amazon site. Let's say they didn't buy that stroller, but um, they were uh, the next day they opened up that same browser and... They were searching and decided to buy an Xbox game or something. If they buy that within a certain length of time after clicking through from the referring site, you get a payment for that as well or an addition, um, whatever you buy for that certain period of time, which I don't remember if it's a day or more. Um, it's 24 hours. Yeah, so 24 hours after you click through, which actually, um, a little plug for myself, if you go to the personalprofitability.com website and click on the podcast link on the bottom homepage towards the bottom in the middle. There's a link to go through and do Amazon shopping using my site as a gateway. So if you do that, that's actually a big way that I can help try to you know pay for the costs of this podcast and the computer I'm using to record it and the web hosting that I'm using to send it to you. So by all means, it doesn't cost you a penny more but it means the world to me. So if you bookmark 
personalprofitability.com slash Amazon and put that in your bookmarks as Amazon.com. Doesn't change your experience at all, but it helps me quite a bit. And um, that's that's a big way that they monetize a lot of websites and uh, niche sites in particular. Now, uh, did you use any other types of revenue generation like Amazon or uh, sorry, just said Amazon, um, like AdSense or uh, or any other popular ways to make money? Well, right now I've got one other site that's earning money on an AdSense revenue model, uh, not including the one that you and I worked on, which was also AdSense. And this was built before I kind of knew what I was doing with AdSense. So even though I get about ten to 13,000 visitors a month on the site, I, I don't have um, $100 months very often. Okay. But so how much do you make typically with that type of traffic? Um, with as low of a cost per click as I've got, I, I made 80, I made, I think I made 70 in November, um, 96 in December. And then today is the 22nd of January, I believe. And I've earned so far this month about $50. Okay. So not the kind of money you can retire on, but if you are brand new to making money online that, you know, that could cover your beer, your, uh, your bar tabs for the month, depending on how much you drink. (laughs) So so that is, uh, when, when I started out, um, just like you, Jeff, didn't make all that much online. So that actually, it's kind of an exciting number. Um, no, it, it definitely is. I mean, you everybody has to start somewhere, and this is a, a great spot to start, even though it's a small, a small dollar amount. It's still better than nothing. Right, and all that adds up. And over time, you can you know, build that into different income streams. If you have you know AdSense and then you know, the Amazon associates and then, you know, another website or that's Jeff's approach is, you know, he has, he said six niche sites plus the ones he's worked on with me. So if you build up different sites, even if one doesn't work, if you're covering the costs of the ones that don't with the ones that do, and then some, you you can end up with a bit of a profit and that's what profitability is all about. (laughs) So, um, so just since Jeff um, breached the topic a little, we've had a couple of sites together. Uh, one worked a little bit. One was a miserable failure, as you might say. So, um, Jeff, can you share a little bit about our elk hunting site and what you think went right and wrong with the readers or with the listeners? Sure. Um, I think the elk hunting site, when we started it, we were doing well and we we did a lot we had a good site model we had a good content plan and we had a fairly solid site structure we were getting some love in google and what really happened was we kind of sat back passively and just expected that since our content was the best out there or so we thought that Google would all of a sudden pull us up to the top of the search engines and 
you know, traffic would start flowing like something out of a fire hose and <laughs> we would be filthy rich and quit our jobs and play darts all day. And just so, so everyone knows, if you want to look at this website, it's still on the internet, elkhuntinghq.com. And if you go through a lot of those articles, um, there, the, there's kind of a few different, I'd say silos or c- categories that we covered. Um, Jeff as a, as an elk hunter, a seasoned elk hunter, he's uh, been, He's told me some stories of, of of his glories in the woods and whatnot. But um, so he he knew quite a bit about the topic going into it. So he wrote a lot about you know the rifles and um, whatnot that you use. Me, I actually don't even really believe in hunting. It's not something I would ever do. I couldn't even eat the animal if I did because of uh, goes against my religious beliefs. But um, you know a, a dollar. You can sell out your morals for a certain price, right? And I didn't have to go elk hunting myself just because I was writing about it. So I uh, actually, the part of the site that I worked on a lot was the different laws and regulations. So if you go through there and you can see like elk hunting in Colorado laws, elk hunting in Wyoming laws, elk hunting in all those states, I wrote most of those. So, um, yes. So, so anyway, yeah, so I had to learn a bit about it as I went and that's not an uncommon thing. For niche sites, you don't have to know everything going into it. You can learn a lot as you go through research and whatnot. And um, so, so Jeff, we let's fast forward to just a couple months ago. I think it was actually when we were together in New Orleans this last October, the most recent FinCon. Um, within a few days of that, either way, I don't remember exactly which, we got an email from Google. It came from Webmaster Tools. If you have a website, you can go on Webmaster Tools, you Google Webmaster Tools, type it into Google, it'll come up. And that's a place for website owners to enter their site information that they want Google to know. So you can do, enter a thing like a site map, which is how Google knows what the pages are on your website. And that is also a place for Google to tell website owners um, if anything's going wrong with their site. And... Um, Jeff, could you share a little bit about what went wrong and what we got from Google and um, and just tell a little story about that day? Sure. Um, that was a particularly rough day for me and, and my journey to hopefully entrepreneurship at some point in the future. But that was the day that FinCon started and I had left my house. I had a niche site going at this time and it was on its way to earn definitely over a thousand dollars that month and probably closer to $1,500 once everything was said and done. So I got on the plane to head down to new Orleans. And when I got off the plane and checked my email, I had about 45 emails from some friends of mine and there had been a huge shakeup in the Google rankings and my big earning niche site. In addition to the one, Eric and I were working on about elk hunting got what's called a thin content penalty from Google and were summarily booted from the rankings and our profits went with them, unfortunately. Yeah. So since then um, I've put a little time into the elk hunting site. I put a new theme on there just because I thought, you know, freshen things up, get a little more exciting we haven't really added a lot more content, but um, still making like two dollars a month from from the site from AdSense. So you know that um, thin content penalty is a pretty tough thing to come back from. Do you know anyone that's come back from that before? 
Um, there's been a few people that have come back from that. And with, with our domains, it's, it's probably not worth it. What I did for my other major earning website was bought a new domain name and pointed that at all my old content. And I'm hoping that sometime this year that will pick back up and it will start earning again like it was last year. So at the peak, um, I know you were it was growing and growing and things were going great right before that penalty happened. So how about how much were you making per month or projecting to make per month um, at the rate you were going? Let's see. I got 300 in June, 600 in July, and FinCon was in August, correct? Or September? I think it was September. September. They're usually in the fall. So let's say yeah. September. Yeah. So FinCon was in September. So I got 300 in June, 600 in July, uh, 700 or so in August. And I was on pace to earn between a thousand on the conservative end and 1500 on the high end from just one website. So if you could go back, um, what do you think? Do you think there was something you might have been able to do to avoid having gotten that Google penalty or um, what lessons did you take away from that? Well, one of the big lessons that I took away from it was it's very difficult to be reliant on one thing for all of your income. And this not only goes for people who are looking to build websites, but people in general. For instance, if your job, your day job is the only source of your income, you could be setting yourself up for a world of hurt. So I, I had a job, so it didn't hurt a lot to lose that extra revenue, but it was definitely painful and I wasn't happy about it. And the other major thing I learned is that, you know, Everybody kind of has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, as Mike Tyson <laughs> famously said. So even even though things were going well and I didn't really see a downside in it, I, I got punched in the proverbial mouth and I spent about a month picking up the pieces and sulking around. And then it was time to pick myself back up off the mat and get to work. So um, before we get to what you did next, I wanted to um, quickly talk about another project that Jeff and I had together. Um, you know, if you if you go to the to the website, you know, personalprofitability.com, I actually have every income report for how much I've made online every month since the beginning of 2012. That's all publicly available. I actually just put a shortcut to that in the menu at the top. So if you click that little hamburger logo to pop out the menu that you can see a page that has my online income earning history. And, um, you know, there have been months that I didn't do so great. And you know, I started out making a lot less than I do today. It's built up over time and, you know, there, it could grow a lot more, but some projects as, as we just were talking about, don't work out. One of those, um, Jeff and I tried a learning experience. We bought a site on flippa.com, which for those of you not familiar, it's a website you can buy and sell websites on. It's, kind of like the eBay for websites. Um, you buy and sell from other people. And we were totally on this. We're going to 
buy a cool niche site that's already making money and build it up to make even more money. And um, Jeff, do you want to share a little bit about um, how we ended up with what we ended up um, and, and what we did there? Sure. Um, we, uh, we bought a store, an e-commerce store selling reusable shopping bags. And we were under the impression that the revenue was good and we just could never quite get it done. I mean, when we got it, we migrated it over to WordPress to save on hosting costs. But that was after we'd already spent, um, I don't know about what five hundred dollars on the old host, which was Big Commerce. If um, that's a site you can use to host e-commerce sites, it costs about thirty dollars a month there. Right, and I mean, we just we just were not seeing the traffic that we had expected, and I think that kind of uh, punched a hole in our sales, so to speak, with that project. And we put a little bit more time into it after that, but. All told, we probably would have been uh, been better off lighting five one hundred dollar bills on fire and recording it for YouTube. We probably would have gotten more hits to that video. <laughs> well, well, at, uh, five five one hundred dollar bills each. Um, so, so when we bought that, the purchase price was five hundred dollars, and we did that through an escrow escrow process that uh, Flippa offers. So we put the money out, then they transferred the website to us. Once we got everything we were expecting, we hit okay, and um, they got the money, and we got the website. So it was about five hundred dollars to buy the site, and then about another five hundred dollars in hosting costs that we lost before we moved it to a cheaper option that I built myself. And if you want to see that dreadful project, it's still available on the internet as of right now at reusablebagstore.com. I turned off all the sales features. We um. You when we weren't selling much, we didn't want to do all the work to keep up with vendors and whatnot. Um, so, so that was a you know a thousand dollar loss, which you know we split the the loss, but it was a uh, it was a it was a tough hit. But um, we've also had you know lots of great successes. So one that I wanted to ask you about, Jeff, um, if you could share about. So I know I have um, quite a few freelancing clients that I use um, that I do writing for, and I've built some websites for people. You have also built some websites. Could you share how you got started with that and how that developed? Sure. Um, I I was listening to the Side Hustle Show with Nick Loper, which is a great podcast if all of you haven't heard of it. But the guy he had on there um, from videofruit.com, his name was Brian, he said, The easiest way to start making money online is to find a how-to article and then offer that as a service to somebody. So I had this idea myself about a year ago, and I had a lot of web domains that I needed to build out so I could – so I could start putting content on them and hopefully that they would rank in Google. But I was too busy with other projects to actually sit down and take the time to build them out. And I was chatting with Eric one night and I was like, you know, if I'm having this problem, I'm probably not the only one in the niche site arena that's having the same problem. So I put up a page on my website real quick and I mentioned it to some friends in the space 
And since then, I've gotten uh, about 10 or 15 clients and I've earned about five to 5,000 to 7,500 bucks doing that. That's, that's great income. Um, and at $7,500, that's enough to, to buy a, you know, a used car or pay off a huge chunk of your debt or, you know, you take a trip to Europe a few times. <laughs> so, so that's, that's some serious income. Um, you know, speaking of debt, um, how has, I know you started, when you started your blog, you had quite a bit of debt and you have quite a bit of, well, your debt situation is a little different now. How have you paid off your debt over time and how did you get all that debt and how is your online income um, helping your general financial situation for your family? Well, I got most of the debt when I left undergrad. Um, I was fairly irresponsible with my finances and like a lot of students in college, I told myself, this will be really easy to pay off once I get a real job and start earning <laughs> real money. Yeah, so so some of it was on a credit card and then some of it was student loans. And right when I got a job, I, I moved to the town that the job was supposed to be in and they're, they kept pushing back my start date. And the minute they told me that the first time I was, I thought to myself, well, this isn't going to go through. I need to start looking for something else. So they did it end of, up going through? No, they okay. kind of strung me along for six weeks. And then, and then finally I called them. I was like, listen, what's, what's the deal? You know, are you guys going to be able to bring me on or not? And they said, no. And I was like, all right, fine. So I, this was in July of 2009. Were you I living had, on credit cards this whole time? No, no, I, I had money saved. Thankfully, I, I was able to get my finances together in grad school. And even though I still had, I, I didn't have any credit card debt at the end of grad school. I paid it all off. How much did you have at the peak that you paid off? Probably about 7500 bucks. And how did you come up with the money to pay for that? I worked two jobs in grad school. Okay, so that's... So there you go. That's a hustle. You know, I, I also worked full time while I was in grad school. I only had one job, but um, I, I feel for you. <laughs> so, so you paid off those credit cards and then what happened? Uh, well, then I, you know, I, I was a lot smarter, even only being two years removed from undergrad. But I knew that the small town that I lived in probably wasn't going to have a job for me. So I started hoarding cash basically for a year because I knew I would need to pick up and move somewhere when I graduated and I knew I needed cash to do that. And I, I, I didn't end up having to move very far, so I didn't need to use a lot of that cash, but most of that was um, ended up being used for me to live on during that summer when I didn't have a job and I ended up going back to my old job that I was working as a student and working there full time. And then they were paying me hourly and I was driving 50 miles one way to get to and from work. And then I got another job also in a different town from where I lived, also about 50 miles one way away. So I kept the other job and I was working both of those jobs for about two and a half years to pay off what was left of my student loans and then the car that I had to buy because my old one was 
giving up the ghost and I needed a reliable way to to get myself to and from work. So how did, how much student loan debt did you pay off in total? Um, all told, it was fifty five grand between the car and the student loans, and the student loans were um, twenty five or twenty eight of that. And the car was 23 or 22. Okay. So then did you get completely debt free at any point? No. No. So what was your next debt after, after all this that you'd been working on? Um, well, my wife and I bought a house in 2012 when I probably had about four or six grand left of car and student loan debt. So now we are debt-free except for the mortgage. Great. How much, um, if, if you don't mind sharing, how much left do you have on that mortgage balance? And do you plan to try to pay that early or are you just going to pay it off on the regular schedule? We took out a 15-year note in 2012 and we have about uh, $103,000 left on it. And we pay early. We pay our payment plus an extra half payment every month. When you bought the house, what was the house worth and what have you put into it? And what do you think it's worth now? We bought it for 153,000 and we've probably put 18 to 23 grand in cash into it. And I would bet based on what other things in the neighborhood are selling for that we could probably move it for 210 to 225. So that's a pretty good increase in value. And I, you're also being a little modest there because you, you, you put a bunch of money in. But um, Jeff is a very, very handy guy, way more than me. I, I get really excited when I can you know, change a hard to reach light bulb. Or something like that. I've actually done a few more more complex projects, like changing a toilet or whatnot. But I would never uh, really go deep into the plumbing or the electrical. Jeff has uh, he pretty much rebuilt the whole house by hand um, on his own. I mean, his wife helped a little, but he did a lot of the work. So could could you share a little bit about what you've remodeled, what you did, how you learned to do what you did? And uh, sure, um, we basically spent the first year in the house sleeping on a mattress with all of our belongings in the basement while we gutted the upstairs kitchen and bathroom, painted everything, redid the floors, rewired the entire the, uh, the entire upstairs, got rewired because that was still um, done with 1920s era wiring from when the house was built. <laughs> yeah, I can see and, why you want to upgrade. Yeah, and now we are living only in the upstairs of the house well we've got the basement torn up and we're working on reframing and rewiring that and we just had a structural wall removed and replaced with an i-beam so we we've done quite a bit of work i really kind of learned to do this when i was a teenager and my dad made me help him finish the basement of the house that they used to live, my parents used to live in. So I, I was familiar with what to do, but I had never actually kind of taken the lead on it myself. And I just, you know, I kind of dove right in because I figured 
if you know I could call somebody and pay them the money to do it, or I could try it myself. And if I do it right, I can save the money. And if I screw it up, I'm going to have to call somebody to do it anyway. Right. And they'll still probably charge me about the same amount. Were there any good resources that you used along the way that helped you do all this and kind of learn as you go? Uh, I got a couple books just from Home Depot and, and Lowe's and stuff. And then anything that I really couldn't figure out, Google and YouTube. Yes, YouTube is is actually it's a pretty amazing resource. I um, when I in my old condo in Denver, I changed the toilets in both bathrooms, which is something I'd done a few times before. I'd help my parents do that, changing to you know, high efficiency toilets, you know, get the the tax break that the uh, government was offering on that or the Denver Water at the time, um, and whatnot. But um, when I went to change them in my condo. The first one I changed, no problem. Everything was perfect. The second one I changed, there were some problems, and I ended up going to YouTube to try to figure out if I could solve them. And actually, funny story, I thought I had figured out um, what was wrong. I thought that the flange was broken, which um, that's the piece that sits in the floor that you hook bolt the toilet to. And it turned out um, it wasn't the flange. It was the entire pipe was not attached to the floor anymore. So, so I had to... Uh, you know, the building ended up fixing that. I didn't have to pay for it, but it was quite a quite a to do. But YouTube um, helped me learn what a flange was and taught me enough to speak intelligently about it. So I was happy about that. And um, you know, my cost ended up being exactly what I thought it would be. So I figured it out. So, um, so we're about forty minutes in. We've about five minutes to go before we have to say goodbye. Um, so, what is in the future? What What are you up to now? And what are your plans to keep building more online inside income? Well, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've got six niche websites in various stages of development. So in 2015, I'm going to be focusing pretty hard on building those out, getting those uh, ranking well in Google. And once those get to earning consistently 500 to 750 dollars a month i'll probably hang on to a couple of them and sell a couple of them and then i will take that cash and continue to expand my business great so if you want to talk to jeff ask him questions about what he's done anything he's talked about today and what he's working on i actually have a great resource for you if you go to personalprofitability.com, there's a little form on the front page where you can add your name and email and get a free download of a book. It's called The Personal Profitability Playbook. It's something that I wrote to help you get started on that path to personal profitability for yourself. You know, lots of P words. Um, but when you go through and read that book, towards the end, there is a secret link to a private Facebook group that is just for people who are part of the personal profitability project and Jeff is a member of that Facebook group. So if you go through, get that free download, you can get the link and join the Facebook group and ask Jeff any question you'd like. And um, he will be right there to listen. If anyone wants to find you outside of that private Facebook group, where should they go to find you? Sure. There's a contact form on my main blog, sustainablelifeblog.com. You can just go there and hit the contact button and it'll pop up an email and I will get back to you as soon as I can. 
And uh, are there any other good places to find you, you know, on, on any of the other social networks? Uh, yeah, I've got a Facebook page for the blog, facebook.com slash sustainable life blog. And I'm very infrequently on Twitter. My handle is at sustain life blog. Great. So one last thing I'd like to share we haven't talked about here before. Um, so Jeff and I, you know, as I said, we're, we're pretty good friends. A part of how we became good friends was, you know, I said we met at the first um, FinCon in Chicago. And we've seen each other at every FinCon since. There's one in Denver, uh, one in St. Louis, then last year in um, New Orleans. But the place that we really got to know each other is we became part of a mastermind group together. And a mastermind group is a place where... Our group has always had three to five people. Um, there are three of us who have stuck with it since the beginning. Right after we met in Chicago, we've added a couple uh, along the way. But a mastermind group is a place you can talk with other like-minded entrepreneurs or people who are trying to work on the same types of things you are. And you can encourage each other and um, you know get, go to them for feedback. Like, well, I was building the new website and buying the new domain. I went to these guys, um, Jeff and, and a couple other guys to ask what they thought, how I was doing, give me feedback on the website and whatnot. And, um, you know, Jeff and I have been doing this for, you know, on, on the way towards five years and it has been an immensely helpful thing. I wouldn't be, I, I could say com- confidently, I wouldn't be sitting here interviewing Jeff or having a podcast at all, probably if it weren't for Jeff and our group, it's really helped me get along when I was, uh, you know, having those down days when Google smacked me down and didn't give me a lot of traffic or, you know, when things have gone right and wrong, they've been there to um, you know, help you bring me up and build me up higher. So I highly recommend you guys, if you are interested in trying to build up side income and a side business outside of your day job, or even if it's a full-time thing, to try to find um, other people, like-minded people to start a mastermind group with. We um, have an, a weekly email that we have been doing now for five years. I don't know what number we're on. We uh, we usually number them. <laughs> and um we have, have an every other week uh, video call now with Google Hangouts. So that has been just a huge thing for me. So thank you, Jeff, for all of you have done there along the way um, and helping me get to where I am today. And thank you so much for coming and joining on the podcast to tell all of the readers your story. Thanks for having me on, Eric. All right. So as, as we said, we had our beers along the way. Uh, mine is almost empty. So I will say a cheers to Jeff and all of the other listeners. And thank you so much for listening to the third episode of the Personal Profitability Podcast. And have a great day, my friends. Thanks for listening to the Personal Profitability Podcast. Be sure to join the email list for your free personal profitability playbook.